Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. In John chapter 12, we find one of the most extravagant and beautiful acts of love given to Jesus anywhere in the Bible. In an amazing example to all of us, Mary pours out a year's worth of wages on Jesus' feet, and in an astounding act of humility, proceeds to wipe his feet with her hair. Do you have a heart and a devotion to Jesus like Mary? Are you willing to show your love for Jesus and demonstrate your love for him in your day-to-day life? Let's open our Bible now to John chapter 12 and look at Mary's incredible act of love and devotion for all of us to emulate. Well, good evening and welcome to another teaching. It's a Sunday evening here in Texas and uh, hopefully y'all are loving on Jesus. Like we say every time, spending time with Jesus, growing to know Jesus, growing to obey him, growing to love him, growing to know his love for you. There's nothing in our lives that's more beneficial or edifying than spending time with Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. All right. We finished John 11. Uh, last time, which was six teachings, and today we're going to begin in John chapter 12. Just, again, another incredible chapter, as they all are. Um, Lord Willem will get through verse 11 today. So, Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for our Bible, Father. We just thank you for giving us this Bible, Father. We thank you for the word of God and that we can we can just study it. Father, we can meditate on it. We can feed on it. Father, I thank you for the privilege to teach it. We just thank you for your mercy and goodness and provision. Father, above all, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your mercy on our lives. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for becoming a human man for us, living a perfect life for us, dying a perfect death for us. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are indeed alive and risen today. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open your word. Give us eyes that see and ears that hear. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay, John chapter 12, 1 to 11. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus's honor. Martha served while Lazarus Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus's feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. 
So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. Thank you, Lord Jesus. It's incredible. You know, when we just look at the, uh, <laughs> again, we ended John 11 with, uh, you know, just studying the, how hard our hearts can become as human beings, how hard hearted we can really be. I mean, there were people that saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. And instead of bending the knee to Lazarus, I'm sorry, instead of bending the knee to Jesus, bending the knee at seeing what Jesus had done with Lazarus, they went and reported it to the chief priest, to brown nose the, the religious leaders. And, um, you know, and they decided to kill Jesus. When they had saw Jesus do this incredible miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead, they should have bent the knee to Jesus. It was clear to them that he was who he said he was. He was the Messiah, the Son of God, God the Son, God Almighty. But instead, because of their own self-interest, they, they plotted to kill him. And we see here in verse 10, it said, so the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, they just saw Jesus and they were told that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And so instead of thinking, you know what, it's not going to do any good if we kill Lazarus because there's someone here that can, that can raise him no matter what we do with him. They just want to get him out of the way. And I mean, we can get so driven sometimes in our, um, in our sin. We can get so driven and blinded by our own uh, prejudice, by our own anger, by our own bitterness, that we can just, um, that we can get so far insane, right? Look at this. John 12, verse 10. Verse 9. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So again, it is an amazing thing. Word is getting around that this man was dead for four days. Lazarus was dead, buried in the tomb four days, and Jesus raised him from the dead. So you would think that the, the, the natural response, May, would be that we would, just, we would just bend the knee to Jesus and we would give our lives to him and we would live our lives for him. But no, verse 10. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. The, chapter 11 ended with them making plans to kill Jesus, but now they're mad because Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and everyone's running to see Lazarus. And when they see Lazarus, they're putting their faith in Jesus. Verse 11, for on account of him, Lazarus, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. And of course, that's where our faith belongs. But these religious leaders wanted, wanted, wanted people to be running to them. They didn't want people to be running to Jesus. And this spirit's alive and well in the church today. I mean, as pastors, as ministers, as teachers, as uh, elders, as deacons, as leaders in the church today, it's our job to point people to Jesus, and to only Jesus. John the Baptist said, he must become more, 
I must become less, right? Chapter one of this, of this, uh, this book. But it's, it's, it, you know, it's hard, right? I mean, we're, we're to point people to Jesus. We're not to draw men and women after ourselves. We're to point people to Jesus, to follow Jesus. Ultimately, I've said this before, it's our job to make ourselves unnecessary. That people are walking in deep and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ so that they're not reliant on pastors and teachers and elders and all these things. Now, again, we we need these things. Jesus, have given, Jesus has given us pastors and elders and teachers and all these things. Um, but the goal of the Christian life is that each believer walks so intimately with Jesus Christ that they themselves are a minister and a priest of Jesus Christ. So, um, Father, I do ask you to forgive us and cleanse us where, where we can be so hard-hearted and so blinded and so bitter and so territorial as to just look out for our own self-interest, Lord, and our own ministry, our own church, our own calling, our own gifts. Forgive us, Father. Mm. <clears throat> Verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Almost 50% of the book of John is about the last seven days of Jesus' life. I believe it's a third of Matthew. I believe around a 33% of Matthew is about the last seven days of Jesus's life. I believe 25% of Luke is about the last seven days of Jesus's life. And 40% of Mark is about the last seven days of Jesus's life. So when you're studying the gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, it's uh there is an immense importance given to the final week of Jesus's life. And we're in that time now in John chapter 12 and even in John 11. So almost 50% of this book, Jesus's ministry was about three and a half years. Jesus comes on the scene at around 30 years old and his ministry is only three and a half years. And 50% of this book of John or around 50%, almost 50% is, it, is within the last week of Jesus's life, six days before the Passover. So as the book goes on, he's gonna be crucified, right? On Friday, he's gonna be raised from the dead on Sunday. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus's honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. That's verse two. So again, this is real. This man was dead four days. Jesus raised him from the dead. In John 11, he says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes out. He commands them to take the grave clothes off. And now Lazarus is back living a normal life. Um, you know, most believe that, that Simon is giving this dinner, is holding this dinner. Uh, in honor of Jesus. And, you know, they're holding the dinner in honor of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, right? 
Here a dinner was given in Jesus's honor. Again, they're honoring Jesus in light of this incredible miracle he did in raising Lazarus from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus's honor. Martha served. I've said this before, Martha gets a bad rap, um, you know, because of, you know, the scripture where it teaches us that, you know, Mary is sitting at Jesus's feet and just listening to him and Martha is serving Jesus. She's making all the preparations to make sure that everything is perfect, that everyone has the right food and the right drink and they're comfortable. And, and Mary is just simply sitting at Jesus's feet. She's enamored with Jesus. And Jesus does say Mary has chosen the better thing. And so Martha often gets a bad rap and, you know, sometimes is a, uh, is sometimes an excuse for us to be poor servants. Nothing could be further from the truth. In John 11, we're told that Jesus loved Martha. Martha was real, right? Martha would share her heart. And even here, it goes out of the way to say, verse two, here a dinner was given in Jesus's honor, right, Peyton? Martha served. It doesn't say Mary served. Now it's going to say down here that Mary is going to, is going to do an incredible act of, of devotion. But again, Martha and Mary are an example to us. They're two different examples. Martha is an incredible example to us all, men and women, of what a servant of Jesus looks like or what someone who has a heart to serve Jesus looks like. Here a dinner was given in Jesus's honor, verse two. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table. Verse three, then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus's feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. This is an act of devotion, an act of love. That's an example for all of us. It's in uh, Mark chapter 14. Um, what is it? Is it verse nine? I think it's verse nine. Let me look. Um, that, that it says that whatever, wherever this gospel is preached, what this woman has done, you know, will be preached as well. I, I think it's verse nine. Let me see. Mark 14, verse 9, Jesus speaking, I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So in the gospel of Mark, this same account is told. John doesn't record this, these words of Jesus. But in Mark, when Mary does, does this, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, Jesus said, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Jesus remembers the devotion, the love, the adoration of his people. Do you adore Jesus? Do you love him? Do you do extravagant, loving, just, just overwhelming, loving things? for Christ. Very few of us ever have. Um, very few of us have a lifestyle. Mary is, a, is an example to us, to all of us, men and women, of what we ought to be when it comes to devoted, 
loving, extravagant, loving disciples of Jesus Christ. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. Verse 5 is going to say that this perfume, the cost of what she did was equal to one year of a man's wages in the time of Jesus. So this is a year's wages. Try to imagine you work for a year, you saved all that money, and in this one moment, you spent every bit of it extravagantly on Jesus. Again, Mary, Mary is, a, is an example to us. She's a hero in the Christian faith. And her heart to, to pour out her love extravagantly, extravagantly on Jesus is an example to us. Now, for us today, you know, for us to emulate Mary, we need to pour out our heart extravagantly onto the people of Christ, right? We need to show our love to Jesus and his kingdom and our devotion to him and his people. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus's feet. Now she's doing this publicly. She has an incredible public adoration for Jesus, Lauren, right? There are all kinds of people there. The disciples are there. Lazarus, Mary, Martha, Obviously, Mary. She takes this, this incredibly valuable thing and she poured it on Jesus' feet. This is an act of utter humility that we cannot understand. In those days, only the lowest of society, slaves, would wash the feet of someone else. It was considered below any man or woman Israelite. It says she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And this is, uh, and this is an important aspect because in Jesus' day, for a, a women would always go about with their hair tied up in a bow, right? Because to have their hair let down would, be, would be a sign of loose morals would be a sign of a woman who was who was given over to immorality, sexual immorality. And so a woman would always keep her hair up in a very proper way so as not to be, you know, overly attractive to a man. Um obviously for Mary to be wiping Jesus's feet with her hair means that her hair is let down. And with her hair let down, she's apparently not concerned with how it looks. So I'll say again, this lady is a hero to me. And she ought to be to all of us. Because most of us may, right? We are really concerned with how it looks. We are so consistently concerned that we might be considered like, you know, religious zealots. Or just overly religious. Or like we're just... Uh, too radical for Jesus, right, Esther? You willing to let down your hair for Jesus? You, are you willing to just let it all out for Jesus like Mary? I mean, she just lets it go. She takes the most valuable thing, right? 
She takes, she has something in her hand that she could sell for a year's worth of wages and use it on herself. But instead she pours it out on Jesus. She pours her love out on Jesus. Something that's incredibly valuable financially. And then, in just in a show of utter humility, she lets down her hair and who knows how long it was. And she begins to wipe his feet with her own hair, not caring what anyone thinks. And the house was filled, verse 3, with the fragrance of the perfume. That, that ought to be the desire of every one of our hearts, Scott. To fill the house with the fragrance of the perfume of your extravagant love for Jesus Christ, Stephen. How often, Stephen, do you fill the house, wherever you are, with, with the extravagant fragrance of your devotion and love to Jesus? I know I don't do it enough. Father, I ask you to help us to be like this woman. I ask you to help us, Lord, to follow the example of this incredible woman of God in her devotion, Father. Just not to care what other people think, but just to, to devote ourselves to Jesus and to, to show our love to you, Lord Jesus. Forgive us, Lord, where we have fallen so short of this. Forgive us, Lord Jesus. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Hmm. Now, naturally, verse four, if we are going to be, if we are going to be disciples of Jesus that are going to show him extravagant love and devotion and be bold in our love for Jesus, extravagant in our love for Jesus, people aren't going to like it. Verse four. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Verse 5, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Verse 6, he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. You know, this is a uh, this is a grief. And we do live in a church culture. We live in a in a very base church culture in 2022. We live in a church culture, church culture that shows very little extravagant love for Jesus. All of us. All of us, every one of us as Christians today really have different levels of repentance and not being like this woman, wherever we are, all right? And if you don't think you're a part of that, you need to repent even more. We live in a culture today where we're, you know, where we're embarrassed to overtly speak about Jesus, to talk about Jesus, to love on Jesus, to encourage other people in Jesus. And, and a big part of the reason for that is when, when some Christians do step up and love Jesus, they're persecuted by the rest of the church because the church 
obviously they feel like uh, those people who are stepping up in their love for Jesus are making them look bad. I've told the testimony before I was in the Northeast and I went into a Dunkin' Donuts. I don't know what it was, 630 in the morning and I walked in and I held the door for a lady and I said, you're being blessed. And she turned around and I don't know what she was, 40 years old. She said, I know Jesus is my Lord and Savior. She said that boldly. All I asked her was, you being blessed? Or I might have said, is Jesus blessing you today? And she boldly proclaimed in glee, boldly in Dunkin' Donuts. And for those in different parts of the world, that's just like a coffee shop that sells donuts. Um, she boldly proclaimed, I know Jesus is my Lord and Savior. <laughs> I mean, it just blessed me. Just her, her boldness and her appreciation. I said, that's, that's amazing. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I said, that's wonderful. My name's John and this and that. And we're, we're talking and, and then she got somber. And I, I said, what's going on? Well, you know, are you all right? And she said, well, you know, people in my church have said to me that I need to stop talking the talk and walk in the walk. I said, excuse me? She said, well, there are aspects of my life where I'm not living for Jesus as I ought to. And they told me to stop talking about Jesus so much and start living for him. I got so angry. I mean, near rage. <laughs> and I told this lady, I said, everyone at your church is wrong. Now, listen, this is what I told her. Listen, obviously the areas of your life where you're not walking as Jesus would have you to walk, you need to repent. She's crying now. I said, you need to repent for the areas that are, that are out of place in your life, as do I, consistently. But don't ever, ever stop talking about Jesus. Don't ever stop speaking about who Jesus is. Don't ever stop being bold like you were. I said, if you did not say what you said, when I walked in and I said, is Jesus blessing you? If you did not say that, we would not be having this conversation. She's crying. She's weeping. I said, it's not a biblical saying. Okay. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, don't talk to talk, walk to walk. Part of walking the walk is talking to talk. Most people would rather give you their lunch or paycheck than talk about Jesus. Christians, I mean. Right? This woman and I don't know her name, right? Dunkin' Donuts lady, I'll call her. She was more like Mary than the vast majority of Christians in the world today. You could see the joy in her face, the glee in her face, that I affirmed her, rebuked everyone in her church, okay? We're not licensing sin here. We're not telling her that, you know, it's okay to live against the will of God, May, right? We're not saying, I mean, I explained to her clearly, you and I, because it's me too. We need to repent of the areas of our life, Lauren, right, that are out of place. But don't you ever stop being who you are. And she left in the freedom to keep talking about Jesus, where the members of her church were trying to shut her down from talking about Jesus, where they needed to be more like her as all of us do, in boldly proclaiming 
as this lady did, that I know Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Yeah. But you know when just people aren't happy, right? Mary does this extravagant thing for Jesus in verse 4. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. See, people will object if you start having extravagant love. And this is one of Jesus' 12 disciples. And, you know, we always object with some kind of religious. You know, we'll find a reason to object. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Judas tries to sound like he cares about the poor. But John wants to make that real clear because in verse 6 it says, he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. When people were telling that woman to not talk about Jesus, but to walk with him, they weren't telling her that. They weren't telling her that because they, uh, they cared about her walk with Jesus. They were telling her that because she was shaming them and the fact that they never talk about Jesus. Yeah. Does that make sense? So there's always this ill motive, and we need to seek our hearts for it. Because we are easily deceived. All of us. The ones most deceived are generally the ones with the title. If you have a title today, like I do, pastor, or if you have a title of elder, or you have a title of bishop, or you have a title of prophet, or apostle, or deacon, or church leader, we are the ones most easily deceived, as we consistently see in the Gospels. And we ought to humble ourselves before the feet of Jesus and ask for his mercy and forgiveness and cleansing, that we would have eyes to see the areas of our life where we're out of place. It's interesting, it says, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. I think it's Mark 26. I'm sorry, Matthew 26. Right, Stephen? Stephen puts the scriptures in there. I think it's Matthew 26. I think it's verses, what is it? Verse 8 and 9. Where it doesn't just say that Judas did this. The disciples in general didn't understand this. Now, Judas, is, Judas was being utterly deceiving when he said this. But the disciples themselves didn't understand the, uh, you know, that this was fitting. Let me see. Verse 8, Matthew 26, verse 8. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Now, again, this is the same, this is the same account being told by Matthew as being told in John. But in John, John only records Judas. In Matthew, it says, when the disciples, plural, saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. So John only uh, records Judas because, again, Judas wanted to help himself to the money, right? He was, so, he was just literally and totally and intentionally greedy for the money, right? And what is it? 1 Timothy 6.10? that says that, uh, you know, the love of money is the root of all evil, that people who have pursued money have just destroyed themselves because they have this love of money. Again, it doesn't say money's the root, but the love of money. And, you know, they're not that far apart. You know, we've been preaching for, preachers have preached for, you know, 
hundreds of years. They'll always say this, right? It doesn't say money's the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. And that's true. Okay. But they're not that far apart. And we, we really, you know, it's something we have to, uh, you know, Jesus said, you cannot serve God and money, right? So Matthew tells us that the disciples, plural, didn't understand this extravagant love for Jesus. And that's where most of us are. Most of us aren't Judases that are just so totally bent. And this very well may be where Judas opened himself up, that Satan could take control of him, that he would deceive Jesus and sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, as we'll see uh, in the coming chapters. Um, but the disciples themselves didn't understand. And again, the other disciples were well-meaning disciples, but they couldn't understand this, this overwhelming love of Jesus. They were utterly deceived. And I'll say again, these disciples, okay, were apostles. They were the ministers to the people and they were deceived. And as pastors and elders and deacons and church leaders, all of us are, are open to this kind of deception where we can be deceived. I can be deceived, right? I mean, we, we, we actually live in a church culture where we actually think that we as pastors and elders and deacons are like, we got it figured out. And we need to be the ones that are leading, that are setting an example. But in so many ways, you know, we have just failed. And Father, I ask you to forgive us. Forgive me. <laughs> now, Judas says, you know, he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. You know, the other disciples undoubtedly have a heart, had a heart for the poor, but they didn't understand with this whole thing. So, you know, they're joining, you know, Judas and what he was saying. Again, they were just deceived. Judas had an intentional heart to, you know, he wanted the money for himself. In verse 7, Jesus says, leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. Meaning, you know, Jesus knows he's clearly going to be dying within a week. Now, that that that's a whole concept. When I was studying this and, you know, uh, preparing for this teaching, some scholars made the point that how incredible it is that Jesus knows he's going to die in a week. Really, every one of us wouldn't want to be social if we knew we were going to be tortured and crucified in a week. But Jesus, again, just being Jesus, our God, our King, he still goes to a gathering, he still goes to a party, and he's still willing to, uh, you know, to go to a celebration, even though he knows of the torture that's going to come on him, that he's going to become sin in just all the all the incredible ramifications of what's going to happen to him at his crucifixion, right? Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. Again, when you just see the, the coolness of Jesus, we just want to be like him, don't you? I mean, again, if you knew you were going to be dead and tortured and just overwhelmed in a week, you, you wouldn't want to be hanging out with people right? You wouldn't want to be social. 
but Jesus still continues to give himself to the people around him. And that's an example to us that when we're, you know, when we're struggling and when we're down, we want to continue, right, Jose, to, to give ourselves to, to serving the kingdom of God and serving the people around us. I mean, how many times during my day am I, do I got things on my own mind and things that are happening? And yet somebody will call and this or that, and I'll, you know, I'll make myself take the call. I'll make myself serve them. I'll make myself talk to them. And I, I often don't do it as I ought to do it, but um, that's what we want to do as servants of Christ. We want to emulate him, right? Verse 8, Jesus said, you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So again, if Mary can, if people, when people were buried, right, they would have these, these incredible embalming or perfumes put on them. Why is it not okay for her to do that while Jesus is still alive, right? And if when we're at a funeral, right, sometimes when you're at a funeral, you can see a, a massive amount of expense. It would be odd for us to be at a funeral and start publicly declaring the waste of money at the funeral, right? That would be, you know, none of us have done that, right? Meaning sometimes immense amount of money are spent at funerals, but no one says anything. So Jesus is saying that, you know, she's doing this as a preparation for my burial. So, you know, that's enough. This is a good thing. Verse eight, you will always have the poor among you. That's true, right? We have always had. This is a heavy statement. When Jesus said, you will always have the poor among you, that means we will always have the poor among us. And for every year of every time in all history, we've always had the poor and underprivileged. And it is our job to serve them and to help them, right? But Jesus said, you'll not always have me. This time of having him in the flesh is going to be over here within a week, right? Now, I will make a side comment here. Um, People have used, ministers over the ages, you know, particularly recently, have used this scripture to justify all kinds of extravagance. And it's ridiculous. Right, Chloe? Um, you know, Mary showing extravagance, her extravagance is entirely on Jesus and Jesus alone. Not on any of the disciples, Right? This is not a scripture to where we can justify massive opulence or extravagance or massive amount of money used on ourselves or other believers in the body of Christ. Okay, This is not a scripture you can use to buy $20 million homes, to drive $50 million jets. This is not a scripture to use for that. Okay, Now again, where people are buying big homes, where people are, are driving jets, this is not, uh, I'm not judging them. Jesus is going to be their judge. Is he going to be mine? But you cannot use this scripture to justify massive extravagance on yourself or on others. Because this extravagance was only on Jesus. You can't come to this scripture and say, well, Mary used a year's worth of wages. Mary poured it out on Jesus. Okay, so this is not a scripture that can be used to just justify just um, massive opulence or extravagance on ourselves. Verse nine. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came. 
not only because of him, Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So it says a large crowd. Now, we don't know what this means. It could be hundreds. It could be thousands. We don't know. But a large crowd, probably hundreds, right? A large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came. But this is interesting. Not only because of him, Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So again, people are running to where Jesus is. Word is getting around. They had heard that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. He was dead four days. And so everyone's running to see Jesus. And not only Jesus, but none of us have ever seen a man raised from the dead four days. Today, in 2022, none of us have really ever seen a man raised from the dead four days. Has any of you seen that? I haven't. I haven't heard of it. I'm not saying it hasn't happened. I've just never heard of it. I've never seen it, right? It's Jesus who raised Lazarus from the dead. And then as we talked about in verse 10 and 11, so the chief priest made plans to kill Lazarus as well. And again, this is a remarkable thing. And Father, I ask you to protect us one and all as ministers, as preachers, as teachers, as, as bishops, as apostles, as evangelists, as elders, as deacons, as church leaders, Father, protect us from this hardness of heart that we see in these chief priests, Father. Forgive us, Father, when we think we're immune to this. And Lord, I just ask you to give us wisdom and help us to humble ourselves and to love Jesus and to point people to Jesus. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. They ought, they ought to have been celebrating, right, Leah? They ought to have been overjoyed. They ought to have been just running to Jesus and falling before him as the Messiah. But instead, they're so self-serving. They're so territorial. They're, they're so concerned about their own church, their own temple, their own jobs, that they're going to kill Lazarus as well. And I said this last time. This spirit is alive and well in the church today. We have a territorial, we have a territorialism that we care more about what's happening in our church than we do the kingdom of God. And, and I said this last time. Yes, you do. Again, people are blind to this. All of us, myself, all of us are guilty of this. Where we care more about our little ministry, we care more about our little church than we do about Jesus and the kingdom of God. And if you think you're immune to this, then you're undoubtedly deceived, right? I think it was Ronald Reagan who said, right? Um, you know, one of the great presidents of the United States, United States. I think Ronald Reagan said, don't quote me, I believe it was him that said, we have yet to see, we have yet to see in this world what can be accomplished by a man who's willing to do what needs to be done and doesn't care if he gets the credit. Something to that effect, I'm paraphrasing. Because we, we all want credit. We all want acknowledgement. Again, Lord, I just, I ask you to forgive us and cleanse us. Forgive me, Father. So the chief priest made plans to kill Lazarus as well. Verse 11, for on account of him, Lazarus, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. And it's amazing because in spite of all that they did, 
the gospel has only moved and gone on. You can't stop it. You can't stop the gospel. So wherever you are today, don't, don't try to stop the gospel. Don't try to get in the way of it. Don't try to just find all these crazy religions to stop, crazy reasons to stop, and in your own mind, separation of church and state, all these kind of things. The gospel is going to advance. Jesus Christ is Lord of heaven and earth. Just give your life to him today. Just repent of trying to get in the way of it if you are. Romans 10, 13 says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not words that save us. It's Christ that saves us, but we use our words to communicate our heart to Jesus. Have you given your life to Jesus today? Have you bent the knee to Jesus or are you trying to get in the way of Jesus? A Christian is someone who has simply acknowledged their sinfulness before God. Romans 3.23 says that all people are sinful and fall short of God's standard. All of us have done wrong in word, word, thought, and deed. Have you humbled yourself before Jesus today? John 1.12 said that to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Have you simply humbled yourself and professed to Jesus, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinful person and I, I know I can't save myself, Lord. I know that I'm hopeless, that I'm helpless, that I'm desperate. But I believe, Lord Jesus, that you are the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior, Lord. And I believe that you became a human man for me and lived a perfect life for me and died a perfect death for me. And I believe that you are alive and risen today. And therefore, Lord Jesus, I ask you now to come into my heart, to be the Lord of my life, to save me from my sin, and to bring me to heaven when I die. Lord Jesus, I place all my faith, trust, and confidence in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. That's how you become a Christian. Again, it's not the words, it's the sincerity and the genuineness of your heart, of acknowledging and knowing your hopelessness and helplessness, knowing you're a, a desperate sinner and in need of a savior, and that Jesus is your only hope. If you haven't given your life to Jesus, then you know, rewind the tape and use the words that I use. But again, it's it's the it's the genuine humility of your heart and the acknowledgement of Jesus and crying out to him that matters, right? And you'll become a Christian and God the Father will become your heavenly father and Jesus Christ will become your Lord and Savior and Master and God and friend and King, right? And the Holy Spirit will be your guide, your comforter, your counselor. Mm. Well, Father, we do thank you for your mercy and favor and goodness on our lives. We thank you for your word. And above all, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Lord Jesus, again, we thank you for becoming a human man for us, dying that torturous death for us, living a perfect life for us. And we thank you that you are alive and risen. Lord, we thank you for taking our sin and giving us your perfect, righteous life. Holy Spirit, we ask you to seal the message to our hearts now as we go forward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.